is the Next Trip Podcast with Aviation Insiders Doug and Drew. Together, with more than 40 years of industry experience, they are creating a network for other app geeks and travel enthusiasts to obsess about all things aviation. All thoughts and opinions are their own. Good day and welcome to Boarding Pass 209, operating on November 27, 2023. This is Drew, an airline ops manager, and I'm here with my buddy Doug, an airline pilot. We are here to discuss aviation topics from an industry insider's perspective. Doug, how was Thanksgiving in the Midwest? Did you make it there in one piece? Whatever that means. I don't know why people say that. <laughs> like, does your arm come first and then something else? <laughs> <laughs> well, I was Poppy and I were a couple of rows behind Marissa, which means we we're closer to the gear. So I would say we made it here before they did, even though, even though they were in uh-huh. front of us. Right. I mean, if you think about the physics of that, did we make it to Chicago before they did? Because we were closer to the gear where the gear touched down. So you got there first. In Chicago, we got there first. Poppy and I got there like a millisecond before Marissa and Pippa, who were a couple rows (laughs) ahead of us. (laughs) But yes, we did. We did make it here in one piece. You've got in here talk about my trip to Wisconsin. My Midwest accent is definitely coming (laughs) out, hanging out around all of my Chicago and Minnesota family. Regarding your trip here, I, I, we don't have to go through the whole thing, but what I remember is, so you guys did check off the, the lounge box because you went to the escape lounge, but then I we can't did. remember if it was Poppy or Pippa. I, I feel like they were, they felt like they were shorted because you weren't making a connection and they were missing out on some club time because she was like, "Where are we, when are we going to the club? Yeah, Poppy <laughs> asked us before we left, Daddy, is it a nonstop or are we going there or are we stopping somewhere? I said, no, it's a nonstop, and she was disappointed <laughs> about that. And then we got to the escape lounge, and Pippa mm-hmm. kept saying, we we're, were trying to get her to eat some food, and she kept telling us, no, I'll eat when we get to the club. Well, and, right. <laughs> and Marissa and I were like, Pippa, we're in the club. This is it. Eat, because we have to go to the gate in like 10 minutes. Just eat your food. No, I'll eat when we get to the club. Okay, so it sounds like a preferred routing would have been for you to drive to SFO for 90 minutes, fly a 787 to Denver, and then connect. That would have been her preferred. <laughs> and connect. I mean, I, I, you're, that's that's Avgeek. Yes. She, you're create you're creating an Avgeek. This is what she wants now when she travels. Yeah, definitely. But I'm also carrying car seats <laughs> and multiple suitcases. Wait for for this. I, I you know I love connections. Mm-hmm. My dad is sitting mm-hmm. here behind me. He went through Atlanta. He and my mom went through Atlanta. Yeah. On the way here, which our family thought was absolutely ridiculous, mm-hmm. they kept asking him. Wait, I can't figure out why did you go through Atlanta to get from Denver to Chicago? <laughs> their their minds were just blown. Oh, and by right. the way, my dad was in first class, and guess where my mom was? Was she at least in Comfort Plus? No, <laughs> she texted me and said she was at the way back of a seven fifty seven two hundred, and I, I had just gotten a picture from my dad of his first class screen, right? And everything. She probably didn't see it this way, but she's on a 757, which is unique these days. So that's a positive. Yeah, she didn't see it that way. No, she didn't see it that way. <laughs> well, I cannot wait. I always, I always offer to have her sit in my seat up front. But sure, she he does. always declines. Yeah, sure. Thank you, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> I, I believe it. Well, I can't wait till Dale starts flying the company flights, right? On our company. And he. We, when we talk about the chalet or the Matterhorn or the Captain Cook, when we talk about these clubs, he can be like, okay, I see how you got those names. All right. Well, at <laughs> breakfast this morning, my wallet was sitting on the table mm-hmm. and my club card <laughs> is the first one that's here. Right. And he picks up my wallet and pulls it out and is looking at it and is asking me questions about it. it very slowly, I'm, I'm, I'm subconsciously yeah. training yeah, the, him right, the to switch over to the, the other side. Yes. Yeah, moving on from my dad, making my mom sit in the back <laughs> after first class. I know I mentioned that we got out here early, and thank you to our listener. I apologize, I can't remember his name. Our, he lives in Green Bay. I wish I'd seen oh, that. Ryan Scott, Ryansky. Ryan. Yeah, Ryan. I, I wish I. I wish I'd seen that before we were up there. Ryan, I apologize. We had a great time. Took the kids to their first Packers game. It was fantastic. We won, which was great, and the kids had an absolute blast. It was awesome. I do want to mention real quickly, though, and I'm not going to get too in-depth on this, but right before we left for this trip, I went to Beijing for the first time. Yes. I will tell you, Beijing and Shanghai are polar opposite cities. Really? They are so totally different. Shanghai, I know I talked about just this incredibly vibrant city. Beijing just felt very starchy. You could feel that you were in the capital and it, it was just a, a totally different mindset. And I'll tell all the listeners, if you go to China, 
make sure that you bring your passport everywhere mm. you go with you because there are checkpoints huh. in the city. And if you want to get from one part of the city to the other, uh-huh. you need a passport and a visa to be able to move, quote unquote, freely between parts of the city. We took the subway from our hotel to Tiananmen Square. We tried to get into Tiananmen Square. Uh-huh. We got off the subway. We turned the corner and there's this police station inside the subway and the other FO and I were like, well, let's try. Just pretend like pretend like we know what we're doing and we're supposed to be here. And we walk up to the checkpoint and the guy said, passport? Mm. We said, oh, no passport. He said, no, mm. passport. Wow. Basically, he wasn't going to let us out of the subway without our passport. We were able to convince him. I, I said food and I did like a little food mo- motion. Yeah. We were trying to convince him that we were going to get food. Uh-huh. He let us pass without the passport and we're like oh great okay that's all we have to say is we're going to get food we go up the stairs exit the station right into Tiananmen Square we're outside on the sidewalk and there's another police checkpoint on the sidewalk we couldn't go anywhere without our passport or our visa we went right back down got on the subway and then went straight back to the hotel so for the listeners if you're in China carry your passport with you which I hate doing because I'm always worried about losing it but if you want to see anything in Beijing, or I, I don't know, other cities in China, maybe do that. You have to carry your passport because they will not let you pass those checkpoints without it. But I don't remember you having to do this in Shanghai. So maybe it's I a Beijing thing. It, yeah, I didn't have to do it in Shanghai. It could be a Beijing thing because it's the capital. Yeah. Uh, but it was it was just, it was really interesting. And it, it definitely was eye-opening. It was different than any experience I've ever had in any foreign country in my life. Well, you said, I can't remember if it was Hong Kong or Shanghai where the the people, like the vendors and the hotels and the wherever you went to shop for stuff, they were like, oh, we're so glad that you're here. That was Shanghai. Not Beijing. Beijing, the we, we went to a market. We did go to the Pearl Market. And they were, they actually, it was funny because this was, my trip was, I think, the fourth or the fifth flight since our our company relaunched service to Beijing. We had been there for less than a week. We showed up at the hotel and the vendors from the market were waiting for our crew bus at the hotel to hand out their business cards Mm. and tell us, we can't wait to see you tomorrow. We can't, like they were trying to sell their stuff at the hotel before we even went to the market. And they kept saying, we're so happy you're back. Come see us, come see us, just handing out their business cards. So you're describing Shanghai and Beijing. Would you say it's like New York and Washington where Washington is much more subdued? Very much. That is a great comparison, yes. How was Thanksgiving dinner? Oh my gosh! You, before we started recording, <laughs> you were saying that you're you've been eating for the last day, and I, right now you're sitting there eating a I sandwich this. <laughs> while we're recording. <laughs> it's been the same. We we left Green Bay on Monday morning. We got to Chicago Monday afternoon. Checked into the hotel, and by Tuesday at ten o'clock in the morning, mm-hmm. we were over at my aunt and uncle's house. We're today. What what's today? Friday. So Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, we have spent every waking hour over at my aunt and uncle's house. More and more family has been showing up mm-hmm. each day. And my aunt, who's a flight attendant for a major airline in the U.S., mm-hmm. she just has snacks and food everywhere and <laughs> drinks. And they, there is just so much food, and all we do is sit there and eat. So between <laughs> was, you and her... It was fantastic. Between you and her, the house is like a DFS store. Because she probably also <laughs> brought stuff from around the world that people didn't really it ask is. for. But she's just like <laughs> threw stuff in her carry-on. <laughs> All right, so now before we move on, we got to talk about aviation stuff eventually. But sweet potato casserole, I think this is the year where I actually okay, maybe it's not so bad. I think on the last episode, I was like sweet potato casserole. For those of you not in the U.S., this is a Thanksgiving side dish that you have with mashed potatoes, turkey, ham, but it looks like dessert. And I will say, I sent uh, a collage, if you will. I asked people to send me pictures of their sweet potato casserole wherever they were having Thanksgiving dinner. You sent me a picture, Greg sent me a picture, and then I sent you a picture. Virginia versus Illinois versus Texas. I'm sorry, here's the fake fight. Virginia wins. If you have to have sweet potato casserole the way Robbie's sister makes it, which is like in a pie, you know, and it's... It's savory. It does have a crust. It has sweet pecans on top, and that's it. No marshmallow, no whipped cream, because it is still part of the dinner. Ours didn't have marshmallow. <laughs> Our, ours was it, it was semi sweet, but it wasn't too sweet. Yeah, and I was actually laughing because I, I did send you the picture of it on my plate with dinner, yeah. not at dessert. 
and it was less of a dessert than other recipes of of it that I've had. Good. And then Greg, of course, tops that with something that just looks like just a, a plate of, of marshmallows. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Would you like some sweet potatoes with your marshmallows? Right, exactly. All right. Well, let's see if casseroles were able to attract a record number of flyers the day before Thanksgiving this year versus 2019. The numbers are in. And Drew, we've been watching them all week, the, the last probably seven days. Every single day in the last seven days has had more flyers than that same day in 2019. We are on a record-smashing pace. This coming Sunday is supposed to be the most traveled day in history. In history. Not just the Sunday after Thanksgiving, not just this year, not just since the pandemic, ever in history. Well, you're talking about U.S. in the U.S., right? U.S., not- correct, okay. yes. Correct. Yes, the U.S. So let's look at these numbers. So far, the Wednesday before Thanksgiving, it was uh, November 22nd, we had 2,736,000 travelers through the TSA checkpoints. In 2019, which was the record before this, we had 2,624,000. So it is the busiest Wednesday before Thanksgiving. So stay tuned because next week we will look at the numbers of this Sunday, which you're saying, and I have heard on the news, will be the busiest travel day of, well, ever in the ever U.S. in the U.S. That's yes. amazing. And this is good. And if you, well, here, here's the thing. If you look at the numbers, uh, as I mentioned, the numbers leading up to Thanksgiving, right here, you've got a screenshot of the Tuesday before Thanksgiving. There were 200,000 more people that traveled on Tuesday than that same Tuesday in 2019. Mm-hmm. And it was basically 100 to 200,000 mm-hmm. people more every single day leading up to Thanksgiving. All those people have to go home on Sunday or Monday, which if you just add up the the delta, the, the change between 2019 and 2023, all of those extra hundreds of thousands of people, they're all going to go home on either Sunday or Monday, which means that it, 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 it has to be the busiest day ever if if the time leading up to Thanksgiving was this busy. We're going to save your return. I don't know how you're getting home. So we'll save that for the end of the show. I don't show. know how I'm getting home either. Well, you know <laughs> we that there's going to the be, there will be snow. There's a chance of snow in the Midwest Sunday. So, you know, this the party might be over. The, the news people are just waiting. They're just waiting for a meltdown, right? <laughs> and it hasn't been bad. I mean, there's you've seen, seen some pictures of people that can't get into the airport because the traffic is so bad. Other than that, it's been pretty calm because it's sunny outside as we speak. People are starting to go home. So today should be a good travel day. Saturday will be a good travel. Well, today's Saturday. Yeah, no, tomorrow, Saturday will be a good travel day. I am sending my mom home tomorrow on a 6.15 a.m. flight from from Baltimore, which is a non-hub. There are only four seats available. She's the only standby, so I don't foresee any problems. And Doug, bringing her here, she bought a revenue ticket. And our company offers us this discount. And it's like, why standby? Why all that anxiety? And I think her flight was full. So that was a good good, um, money spent. Doug, last week, we talked about what we were thankful for in the aviation industry. It did not go as planned. <laughs> I was <laughs> I was thankful for the people of aviation, and you liked no change fees and life flat seats. Well, today, this will be right up your alley, and kind of mine too, because it's all about the product. And can I say it's Black Friday, so today it's all superficial. <laughs> yeah. It's about, you know, we talked about the people, we thanked it's, them, we've moved on now, we're back to superficial. <laughs> Yeah, my mom at breakfast this morning said that she loved that segment. We got <laughs> of lots did. of texts and messages from people saying that it was perfect, <laughs> that it was good that we didn't rehearse it ahead of time. Drew is definitely the people person. But yes, Drew, I forgot to mention warm nuts and hot towels. I'm, <laughs> okay, I'm kidding. Great. <laughs> I'm, I'm kidding. Like you, I appreciate the people who make the magic of aviation happen. Oh, and lounges. I forgot to mention <laughs> Here lounges. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, you'll get your way. Because another airline might be adding lounge access and airlines across the board are improving their amenities. What do we have? Yeah, we're talking about Southwest here, which is crazy. Crazy. Southwest, who used to be this no-frills airline, now they are trying to up their game to match the competition. Southwest is sending some of their credit card holders priority pass membership. Southwest is one of the big four, and it's the only one without company-branded lounges. Could this help them retain loyal travelers? I think so, Doug. 
because we talk about Southwest, people think it's a low fare carrier. It's not a spirit and it's not a frontier. There are loyal Southwest flyers who are not bargain basement. These are people that are flying from Austin to, I don't know, San Jose, uh, San Jose California, Austin to San Diego, non-hub to non-hub, but they're, they're business travelers. They could very well be business travelers paying very de- paying decent airfares who would like club access. And through this, they will get it. I, th- I think it's a good idea. Do those higher-end travelers already have credit cards that come with the priority pass? That would be a question I would ask. It's it's great that Southwest is looking at doing this, and it's it's much less expensive for Southwest to offer a subscription or a service that's already out there. I think we talked about this several years ago about how lounges are incredibly expensive. Think about that prime real estate in an airport, the cost just for that real estate itself where the lounge sits, but then you've got the cost associated with the lounge. You've got the extra employees that you have to put in there. You have to stock it with food and drinks and alcohol is not cheap and it flows freely in the, or mostly freely <laughs> in the lounges. Uh-huh. They lounge running a lounge network is a very expensive thing for an airline, which is part of the reason why Southwest doesn't have it. JetBlue, even for their mint, their premium product, their business class product, they don't have lounges. They are losing out a little bit, but I, I would argue like, again, I, I'm lauding Southwest for giving this to their loyal, co- to, to their top tier customers. Mm-hmm. But I have a feeling that a lot of their top tier customers probably already, already have, have that lounge but access. You, but you know, their top tier customers who are paying for lounge access through Amex or Capital One, if Southwest That's is offering true. them, they now could, it's gifted. Now it's gifted. Yeah. This we'll, we'll watch this. It could be a trend. You mentioned JetBlue. It's a lot of money to establish your own lounges. Maybe they start an affiliation with Priority Pass or whatever these lounges are and offer that through their own credit card. I, I think it's something to watch because I think more... I'm telling you, one of our gate managers at work just got club access. And boy, has he dove in. He, now he's like Pippa or Poppy. It's like, hey, are we going to have time to stop at the lounge? It's like a kid in a candy store. They love it. Yeah. <laughs> Let's talk about the higher end of the travel spectrum, though. And we're talking about the three network airlines here. They are continuing to improve their offerings as well. This is from the New York Times. Delta said that it'll offer its premium passengers seven choices of wines, the most they've ever had. Meanwhile, Emirates is rolling their eyes. Oh, Delta has seven, <laughs> Ooh, seven. seven varieties of wine. <laughs> we have a wine storehouse in France with 1.6 million bottles. We have our Anyways, own vineyard. Anyways, I digress. We have our own vineyard. Yeah. <laughs> I, it's, that's great, though. I, I'm, I'm happy and I'm, I'm glad we fly Delta, mm-hmm. and I'm glad that there are more options now. Hawaiian is upgrading its first-class meals. They're partnering, partnering with Waikiki fine dining restaurant Mugen. They're featuring Okinawan sweet potato gnocchi, a curried braised beef, and a matcha souffle pancake. Yum. That sounds absolutely, absolutely <laughs> that sounds delicious. delicious. American, who opened a large catering facility in Fort Worth over the summer, works with Jean's Beard Foundation, a national culinary arts organization, to create menus and premium cabins. You flew recently in an American premium cabin, and you said the food was excellent. The food was excellent. And for our company, I've spoken to our catering director and said, hey, we should probably look at this, partnering with a restaurant who are professional. We're professionals at flying planes from point A to point B. We're not professionals on matcha souffle or whatever you mentioned. <laughs> We're not professionals on gnocchi. We can barely pronounce it. <laughs> you know, let's partner with someone who knows how to do all that, right? And then we have that panache of working with this these restaurants. Anyway, just my two yeah. cents. Panache, panache sounds like something you might get in Emirates first class as well. <laughs> uh, the final one, United customers in their Polaris business class have choice of four options now instead of three the choices include cod with a butter sauce and red potatoes or spicy chicken with udon that sounds excellent that as sounds well delicious. in the last year united introduced over 20 new wine beer and liquor brands in their polaris cabin the airlines are upping their game in a few weeks in a couple of weeks we're going to have this uh, professor his name is ganesh sitharaman and he has written a book why is flying so miserable and you know i haven't started and, reading and how to fix it and how, and to, how to fix it and how to fix it we're going to have an open mind. We know there's a lot of ways things can get better, but I think we have to give credit where credit is due because the products are getting better. That's great that airlines are offering a better product, but can you believe at the dawn of the jet age, IATA was actually limiting not only routes, but sandwiches? I didn't know this. <laughs> I didn't know this either. 
Um, this is where regulation can get go, go overboard. Have you heard of the Great Sandwich War of 1958? No, I have not. And you, you sent some information to me and you said, hold off, don't look into it because we're, we're going to talk about it here. Time Magazine did a story on this. And this was 1958. Airlines were making air travel accessible to the common man for the first time. This is the time where we saw the 707s. This is the jet age. Now we have more seats, more frequency. But it was not exactly accessible yet with transatlantic tickets prohibitively expensive. So in an effort to democratize the skies and to sell more tickets, the airline companies introduced the cheaper quote-unquote economy class on its transatlantic flights. I'm sure people roll their eyes on this. You know, they probably roll their eyes when, like, sometimes we roll our eyes about some latest low-fare carriers. Like, yeah, whatever. Economy (laughs) class. It's like, whatever. So anyway, they're trying to make it more accessible. International Air Transport Association, or IATA, tightly regulated the airline industry at this time. As a result, fares, seating configurations on these new quote-unquote austerity flights, which debuted in on April 1st, 1958, if you can believe, they also standardized the menu. I cannot believe there were regulations for airline menus. So this was written. So what IATA said was the airlines could offer coffee, tea, mineral water, and a few quote-unquote simple, cold, and inexpensive sandwiches. <laughs> What? <laughs> they that, had leaves, this? that leaves a lot of room for interpretation. <laughs> it seems simple enough, right? Well, not really. Leave it to the European carriers to one-up the Americans on in-flight food. Pan Am and TWA both served up typical American-style sandwiches, such as egg salad, roast beef, <laughs> or ham and cheese layered between two thick slices of bread. Cafeteria that sounds food. cold. That, that sounds, that sounds cold. Good, simple and inexpensive the opposition presented sandwiches in the open-faced european style <laughs> menus at sas consisted of items like quote five slices of ox tongue a <laughs> lettuce heart asparagus and sliced carrots on a slice of bread unquote. <laughs> that's a whole meal it's basically a meal well, <laughs> on bread which makes it a sandwich i guess <laughs> well swiss air provided guests with two dessert sandwiches quote perhaps peach on zweiback unquote <laughs> after they had finished their assortment of 12 dainty appetizer sandwiches <laughs> and a primary sandwich <laughs> <laughs> the entree sandwich. Oh my gosh, it, it gets better. KLM Royal Dutch Airlines and Air France also served up similarly extravagant selections. Pan Am and TWA were not pleased with the sumptuous sandwich <laughs> affairs of the European carriers. Their sandwiches amounted they? to a three-course meal on bread. The North Americans claimed a level of luxury that was contrary to the ideals of economy class. <laughs> how, da- how dare they? <laughs> And which might sway customers' airline choices. A spokesman for Swiss Air declared in response, quote, Every man is entitled to his concept of a sandwich, and we have ours, unquote. The company in turn would, quote, defend its sandwiches to the end, unquote. <laughs> Did they have marches down the Champs-Élysées with, oh my with that? With the, every man is entitled to his concept of a sandwich, and we have ours? I actually like We need it. t-shirts. <laughs> we need t-shirts with those quotes. Oh my goodness, that's awesome. All right, well, so the drama did not stop there, Doug. As the weeks progressed, the discord only continued to grow. SAS published a sales letter declaring to its potential customers, on our planes, you won't find rubbery indigestibles wrapped in cellophane. Wow, what is is SmackDown? (laughs) American carriers responded with threats to banish European airlines from American airspace. The media latched on to the mounting absurdity of the Great Sandwich War of 1958. You know, people reading the newspapers, the, the jet age was new, so anything involving airplanes and jets, that was fascinating to people back then. So they honed in on this uh, Great Sandwich War, Ayata had to step in, convening a special meeting in London to determine once and for all what constituted a sandwich in the friendly... Sa- okay, this is ridiculous. Okay. Yeah, they... Could- okay. Do we want to have a meeting to figure out what a sandwich is? This is like me arranging a de-ice meeting in Honolulu because, I don't know, maybe there could be one day where Honolulu might get snow. You know, this is one of these ridiculous things where, you know, they have a meeting. Anyway... To the dis- disappointment of sandwich aficionados everywhere, Ayata sided with Pan Am. According, <laughs> why? I don't. You know, I, I guess that you know the American carriers back then, even as now, they have a lot of pull. According to their ruling, a sandwich must be cold, simple, unadorned, inexpensive, and must consist of a substantial and visible chunk of bread. <laughs> a substantial and visible chunk of bread. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, because these people, they had an entree. Maybe there was a slice of bread somewhere down there, but, you know, that was a formality. Any materials, quote, normally regarded as expensive or luxurious, such as smoked salmon, oysters, caviar, lobster, game, asparagus, pâté de foie gras, as well as overgenerous or lavish helpings which affect the money value of the unit, were prohibited as well. Although most European carriers escaped the affair unscathed, SAS was actually slapped a $20,000 fine for its blasphemous slander of indigestibles wrapped in cellophane. Okay, I don't... I, so we're, they're trying to offer more service and a better product and they're being slapped down. I, I Thank God. Well, I mean, what happened? What, what, what a time to be alive. That's all I have to say. What a time to be alive. And thank God for deregulation in the 1970s, which lifted a lot of these ridiculous rules and it let airlines compete on price and service, which is where we are today. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> this is ridiculous. It is ridiculous. I have nothing more to say. <laughs> Other than oh, that, man, that was right. fascinating. Let's, yeah, I, I have a feeling uh, that in a couple of weeks we're probably going to come back to discussions surrounding the Great Sandwich Wars of 1958. So I think we can move on to the news. <laughs> Speaking of limiting what airlines can offer, we have good news on a story from last week where Schiphol Airport in Amsterdam was trying to cap flights. Facing pressure from the U.S. government and the European Union, the Dutch government on Tuesday, this was actually last week, which I, I just want to pause. This came out the day that we recorded and we talked about how the u.s was fighting it right the news actually came out that they rescinded these these limits the day that we recorded well apologies to the listeners that were a little bit behind but what did we say this. what did we say it's like klm delta get with the the dutch government take them out for a stroop waffle and a coffee and work this out that's what they did. Yeah. <laughs> the Dutch government said that they're giving up on a plan to cap the maximum number of flights at Amsterdam's airport next summer, calling the decision, quote, a bitter pill. The decision is a victory for the airline industry, including Air France, KLM's Dutch subsidiary, which is KLM, and the U.S. airlines, including Delta and JetBlue, who had opposed the cap. It's a loss for environmentalists and resident groups living near Schiphol who had supported the cap. I just want to say... The airport, the whole complaining about noise at an airport thing is fascinating to me. People move and build houses near the airport, the airport that has been there much longer than those houses, much mm-hmm. longer than those neighborhoods, and then those people complain about the noise. That right. just blows my mind. Yeah, and it's they're not really complaining about pollution. They're complaining about noise. Yes. Which is interesting. I digress. The plan to cap the number of flights at Schiphol, one of Europe's busiest hubs, at around 450,000 flights or 10% below 2019 levels, had been primarily driven by the desire to cut noise pollution. It had also been cheered by environmentalists as needed to reduce carbon dioxide and nitrogen emissions. Several airlines welcomed the decision with SkyTeam partners KLM and Delta saying they would remain committed to flying more quietly and sustainably without reducing capacity. JetBlue said its entry at Schiphol had lowered fares and urged governments to continue to ensure it had access. Industry group Airlines for America thanked the U.S. government, saying its decisions with the EU had been instrumental to persuading the Dutch government to a successful outcome. One thing that was not in these bullets that I saw, Drew, the U.S. government actually stepped in and said if the cap is not lifted, that they would consider banning Dutch flights to the U.S. or limiting Dutch flights to the U.S. And we mentioned that. What if LAX, LAX, California, they want to be green as much as Europe does, right? What if they told KLM, all right, you're going to have to reduce your frequencies because we are now reduced to to um, Amsterdam. Yeah, it is so weird that we were literally talking about it and they, they lowered, eliminated this rule. No, that's good news. They can work on asking airlines to fly more efficient planes there, right? And And the airlines are flying more efficient planes. All right, Doug, it's amazing to see air travel return and surpass previous levels, proving that the growth of air travel is resilient. In addition to more flights in the future, can we also expect faster flights? It's looking more and more likely as our favorite supersonic transport project, the Overture from Boom Aerospace, moves forward. This is an aircraft that will seat around 80 passengers and fly at 1.7 times the speed of sound with a range of just 4,000, just over 4,000 miles. This week, Boom got a boost with investment from Saudi Arabia. I'm telling you, the U.S. government is investing in it, now Saudi Arabia, so there's a lot of support for this product from all over. Saudi Arabia's NEOM Invest- Investment Fund has confirmed it will invest in the Boom Overture. 
The amount of the investment is not confirmed, but Boom reports their total funding is now up to $700 million. With support from Neom, Saudi planners are building a series of huge resorts, industrial complexes, and airports on the country's northwest coast. The project is gaining momentum with their factory in Greensboro, expected to be complete by the second quarter of next year. The XB-1, which is the uh, tester aircraft, has undergone taxi tests at 90 knots in the Mojave Desert and could fly by the end of this year. And engine partners Florida Turbine Technologies, GE Additive, and Standard Aero are making progress on the Symphony engine being produced specifically for the Overture. The aircraft will have four Symphony engines producing 35,000 pounds of thrust each. Aviation Week reports that two spool medium bypass engines will have a 72-inch diameter fan and will be optimized for prolonged supersonic operation with air-cooled turbines. Boom already has orders from United, American, JAL, Virgin, and the U.S. Air Force. We've talked extensively about this program, and there are so many naysayers out there that don't believe that it'll actually come to fruition, and it seems like every couple of weeks there's a step forward. They get an engine, they build a factory, they get more investment. Now Saudi Arabia is coming in saying that they want to invest in this. Will it work? Who knows? But there is enough excitement and these are people who are able to, to peek behind the curtain. And this is the big thing. These people making these investments, they're able to see what's going on mm-hmm. more so than us, more, more than the general population. And I know that venture capital is, is always a gamble. You're, you're rolling the dice. You don't know if you're going to succeed or not. But at least these people are able to look at the product that Boom is offering, see where they're at in the de- development phase. Yeah. And these people wouldn't give the money if they didn't think that there was at least somewhat of a decent chance that this would this would come to fruition yeah i think it's interesting what saudi arabia is doing so they are they're next to the united arab emirates and they're seeing this colossal success that emirates is in right eventually we're going to be at peak oil where oil is not going to be where they make their profits anymore it's they're looking at other industries they're building these resorts and they're investing in this new technology so they're looking for ways to um make money not related to oil, we saw Riyadh Air, which is coming up. There will open a hub in Riyadh. This airline will compete directly with Emirates and Qatar and all these other airlines that are making huge profits. Doug, let's go from the South, from Saudi investments to the Dubai Air Show. We'll stay in the Middle East and look at airplane orders. After a series of Airbus wins on orders this year, Boeing was the clear winner at the show with 295 orders versus 86 for Airbus. I'm wondering if some of this has to do with uh, the A350 and the paint peeling that Qatar Airways had. You know, they had that whole back and forth with Airbus, which they've resolved. But I'm wondering if that that is, is affecting Emirates' decision to go Boeing for most of their orders. Anyway, we'll see. So Emirates is ordering 55 7-9s, 35 7-8s. That's interesting. There haven't been a lot of orders for that one, which is a shorter a little bit longer than a 777-200. Um, they've added five 787s to their order of 30. And then there's uh, a small order for A350s, 15, 15 of them. Fly Dubai has ordered 30 787-9s. Sun Express, which is a Turkish-German airline, 56 737-8s and 34-10s. Ethiopian has ordered 41 737-8s, 26 787-9s, 11 A350 900s. Smaller orders from Royal Jordanian for 4 787-9s, Royal Air Morocco 2 787-9s, Air Baltic 30 A220 300s, and Egypt Air 10 A350 900s. Two, actually, I guess the three things that really stand out to me here. Fly Dubai. They're a 737-only operator. They're basically like a Southwest in the UAE. And now they're getting 30 787-9s. We keep talking about this long-haul, low-cost or low-fare, long-haul airlines. Here's Fly Dubai looking at getting 30 787-9s. Are they going to fly to the U.S.? Very likely not. This is probably more Europe to India through Dubai, where Emirates, and they're a partner with Emirates, where Emirates doesn't have to fly all those flights. You could fly Emirates to Dubai and then get on a fly Dubai airplane to India or to the Maldives or something like that. That stands out. What also stands out is Ethiopian with their big order. Yeah, that's Ethiopian amazing. has turned into, with South African Airways issues during, even before the pandemic, their financial issues, and then the pandemic almost 
made them extinct. They're starting to come back. I actually just read that South African is relaunching Sao Paulo service. Mm. And I think London service, which is their first international flying since before the pandemic. But Ethiopian has taken this time to really turn into the, the crown jewel of Africa. They are turning into the largest carrier, the most well-known carrier in Africa, getting 41 new 737s and 26 787s plus some A350s. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, I'm, I see Ethiopian everywhere I go. I saw uh-huh. Ethiopian in Beijing. I saw Ethiopian in Shanghai. I'm pretty sure I saw them in Taipei. Yeah. I see them in Tokyo. I, I see them in London. Ethiopian is really starting to spread their wings. This is a huge order, and this is just going to solidify them as Africa's airline, basically. And then the, I think the biggest story out of Dubai is this order for the 777-8, hmm. because the 777-8 was almost dead. It was to the point where Boeing was actually talking or considering just canceling the Dash 8 and only making the 777-9. And now Emirates is going to this 777-8. And you said it's a little bit bigger than a 777-200. It's actually closer in size to the 300. 300. And the Dash 9 is bigger than the 300 is currently. So the 777-8 is more of a 777-300 replacement. You have tons of airlines around the world who fly 777-300s that are starting to age that could possibly order the Dash 8 as 777-300 replacements. Replacements, yes. I mean, including including our airline. Well, yeah, to to date, there have been no U.S. airline orders for the 777-9 or Dash 8. They're very quiet. Delta, American, and United, they're very quiet on this. But you know they're looking at it because for our company, there's several routes that these planes would be successful on. I would assume the Dash 8 would be similar to the 777-LR where they could go very long distances. It could be wildly successful, but right now... It's all about the 787. That seems like what the U.S. carriers are all ordering, except for Delta. Delta's going the um, A350-900 route. But, Doug, just this week, we have more confirmation. Isn't Nothing directly from Boeing, but Emirates has said part of their consideration when they made this order for additional 787-10s is that um, they're expecting a range increase and a maximum mm-hmm. takeoff. We've been talking increase. about that for a long time. Right now, I will tell you, our company does fly the Dash 10, but we can't fly it on routes that we could use it on, which is to Sydney and to San Francisco to Hong Kong. It can make it to to Haneda. It's doing trips to Haneda. I think it barely makes it from Chicago to Haneda. A little bit more range. I think this the Dash 10 could be very successful, or maybe the U.S. Airlines you know, finally get off the fence and go with the 777-8 or 9. We'll see. Yeah, my thoughts on this is that they want it. I don't think Delta does, but I think American and United want the 777-X, either the Dash 8 or the Dash 9 or a variation thereof. Yeah, They're waiting for Boeing because it, it hasn't sold well uh, around the world. The, the new 777 just has not been selling well. I think that the American carriers, specifically American and United, are waiting for Boeing to approach them for with a sweetheart deal. Mm. Say, please, can you order 50? We'll give you excellent financing. We'll give you a great deal on these airplanes, as opposed to those airlines going to Boeing mm-hmm. saying, we're looking at doing this order. I, I, I think that they want it, but I think that they're waiting for the time to be right and for Boeing to approach them. That I, That's just my opinion. I don't know anything, but that's that's what I think. Yeah, but now maybe they'll be more eager to do this because Emirates is taking all the delivery slots. And they're ordering, let's see, this is almost 100 777-9 and 8s. So it might be a good time because there is a, there does seem to be a downturn. Maybe now's the time to get a good price on these. Well, it's good to see the 777-9 gaining some traction. Boeing is still working towards getting its TIA or type inspection authorization from the FAA after which the certification process will start. Boeing is still targeting a 2025 entry into service. The 777-9 is stretched by three extra seat rows and flies 250 nautical miles or 463 kilometers farther than the 777-300ER, and it's the same weight. It's 9.4 feet longer than the 777-300ER, with a total length of 251 feet 9 inches. 
It'll seat around 400 passengers and can carry them 8,383 miles or 13,500 kilometers. These planes will be powered exclusively by the GE9X engines. Doug, let's uh, become Greg, our buddy Greg, who's an engine geek. We're going to become him and let's be be engine geeks for a while and deep dive into the largest and most powerful commercial jet engine. First, let's see how it compares to the current GE90 engines on the 777s that you fly, Doug. Fuel efficiency is improved by 10% over the GE90. This is where we're seeing the law of diminishing returns. You have so much investment and you have so much technology improvement. After a certain point, there's not much more to go un- unless you, you completely you change keep, it. You, you can't keep getting 20% improvement every time. Right. So we poo-poo that. But 10%, that is that will save the airlines millions and millions of dollars. That's not a joke. The engines have only 16 fan blades versus 22. That will make the engines lighter. Uh, the fan blades are also more aerodynamic, so that helps with the efficiency. The bypass ratio is increased from 10 to 1 versus 9 to 1. What the bypass ratio is, is the ratio between the flow of air around the core of the engine versus the flow entering the engine core. Drew, the GE90 is already the largest engine in the world, and the GE9X is going to be even bigger. It's 6 inches larger, or 10 centimeters larger, in fan diameter. And here's what's crazy, and I think we talked about this on a previous episode, The takeoff thrust on the new engine, the GE9X, is actually less than the current GE90. It was was actually built to be, Greg can correct us, but I think it was 135 or 125,000 pounds of thrust. The GE90 is 115. The GE9X is the most powerful engine ever produced, but they are actually derating it. Mm -hmm. They are are scaling (laughs) it back to only 105,000 pounds of thrust because Mm -hmm. it is so powerful and that bypass ratio is so good that they actually over-engineered it and they don't need as much thrust as the GE90 right now, which is crazy crazy to me. But here's here's the big difference, the unit cost. The GE90, which is the current 777-300 engine, and it's on some 200s as well, costs 27.5 million. The new GE9X is going to cost $41.1 million. And I was told that one fan blade on the GE90 right now costs $250,000. Just one single fan blade is $250,000. The GE9X does not have the serrations or chevrons on the back of the engine cowlings like on the 787 or the 747-8 or the 737 Maxes. These were added to reduce noise by 5 to 6 decibels, as heard from the cabin. GE was able to reduce noise levels on the 9X without the added weight of the chevrons. And I've also heard the chevrons are more expensive to produce. Oh, really? The, the shark tooth is, is what we call them sometimes. People, it, it, as soon as we say the shark mm-hmm. tooth, I guarantee the listeners are able no, to picture what we're, what we're talking about. about. So that will make it harder to identify a 777-9 because it won't have the... Um, the similar engine look as the 747. The folding wings, though. Yeah, but not all of them will have that. The f- no, they yeah. will. I thought it was an option, but I don't know. Maybe you. No, I, th- I think they have to. Okay. Yeah. So they fit in the same gates. All right. Well, yep. That's great news. You know, we keep talking. They, they, not us. They keep talking about a downturn, and I'm sure it's happening. Economies go up and down, but this, these are huge orders, which is which will help us. I think it'll help the the downturn be shallow. At least in Charleston, Seattle, and Toulouse. (laughs) (laughs) There's no lack of work there. All right, Doug, you'll be returning. Let me talk about my mom first. So she'll be, I'm going to get her out of here before it's crazy at the crack of dawn tomorrow on a 6.15 a.m., 7.37 from Baltimore. Not exciting. I think it's a Dash 800, which is the most boring plane we have. But now it's just, she came here on a 777-300. So going back is just going to be about getting back home. Which sometimes that's what you have to do, and that's what it's going to be for me. On Sunday, you mentioned the snow. That just popped into the forecast. I had been looking at the, the weather for a while. The snow just popped into the forecast yesterday. It is at the time that we are going to be commuting from the hotel to the airport, and it is at the time that our flight is supposed to leave to go back to Sacramento. So, of course, like you said, the media has just been salivating, waiting for this (laughs) airline meltdown. Well, Chicago might have that on Sunday. Luckily, the family is revenue. We bought tickets months ago for them. I am going to either non-rev or jump seat. It looks right now like I might get a seat, but mm. if not, it's a 737 MAX 8, which has two jump seats, which means that 
I would, I, and I'm the only one listed right now for the jump seat. I don't think there are a lot of people who are commuting to or from work between Sacramento and Chicago. So I'm pretty confident that I'll at least get the jump seat, but I'm actually bummed if I do get the jump seat mm-hmm. because it's a max eight, which mm-hmm. is a brand new cabin, right? It's, it's got the new interior, the new screens where you can hook your Bluetooth up to the screen. Mm-hmm. So I'm really hoping that someone no shows, even if it's a middle <laughs> seat, because I want to be in the back to experience that, that new cabin yeah. as opposed to sitting in a crammed 737 jump seat. I got to give you a tip on that. Do you remember when we were traveling from, uh, I think it was Chicago? It was Newark. It was, no, it was Newark to Orlando. We Newark were on to Orlando, and I could not get the my my earbuds to connect. Up. Yeah, I remember okay, that. So now I know why. Here's the public service announcement. You're trying to connect to the airplane's IFE, whichever airline that you're flying that has it. Unpair it with your phone or whatever it is paired with. I, I realized, okay, so if I unpair it, it and it I kept, did. It kept trying to go to your phone. Yes, so that's okay. why. If you have it paired with your phone, unpair it from your phone or your tablet or whatever you have, even for the kids. Then it will connect with the airplane's IFE. Because I was wondering, oh, you know, this is real great that we're offering this, but it doesn't work. You know, if I can't get it to work, how does someone like my mom or a civilian get this new great technology to work? Okay, so that's the pro tip. Also, before we finish up, we have some corrections from uh, podcast enemy, public enemy number one, which is Aaron. Of course we do. <laughs> Just a couple this time. So on the last episode... <laughs> it's a, well, it's actually been a while. It's been a while it's since a while. he gave us some corrections. Yeah, he's in London, so he has a lot of time to listen and uh, micromanage our, our content, which is actually... I'm not complaining. It's good. When I was talking about the Higgs boson particle and the Hadron Collider last week or the week before, I mentioned that the particles were going at the speed of sound. It's the speed of light. That's a that's a huge mistake. So that is well, that's a huge right? difference. Yes, <laughs> that's a huge. <laughs> but he he gave us a pass. He said, "Well, you guys are airline employees, so you're used to going close to the speed of sound." So he kind of gave us a pass. <laughs> Thanks, Aaron. And then he gave you praise for pronouncing shipall or skipall right, which is the airport in Amsterdam. I thought it was shipall. I have heard a K in there sometimes. But you apparently say it the right way, which is the Dutch way of skippel. Skippel. It's 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 like a skip. Skippel. Sh- you, you start with the shipel and then you <laughs> add the kipple. Skippel. Uh-huh. I may have pronounced it, it mispronounced it a couple times earlier in this in this episode. Yeah. But I keep keep in mind, Drew. I've flown KLM many times right. through Amsterdam, mm-hmm. and you hear it, it like at, on the descent. It's like, oh, folks, we're on the descent into <laughs> skippel. Like you you hear that. Right, and that's why I told him. It's like, yeah, he's he's a Delta Wings KLM flyer. Wings, right? (laughs) I was a Wings flyer. (laughs) Skipple. But when you Google it, it does say the the British or the American pronunciation is shipple, but who cares about how we say it? Let's say it like how the Dutch say it. Exactly. Say it one more time for us. Skipple. Skipple. Is that good? I think so. All right, Aaron, you happy now? (laughs) (laughs) No, good points. Good points. I mean, these are our, we have listeners in Holland, I'm sure, and they want us to pronounce their airport right. And we we try. We we really make an effort to pronounce things correctly. We really do. Yeah, we we want to be accurate. So anything that we say is not, let us know. A lot of times, you know, we have our content that we research, but a lot of the stuff comes from just our knowledge of being in the aviation industry, we are not checking Google as we're doing this podcast. <laughs> it just, we, you know, we'd have to stop every few, let me, let me Google that just to make sure that we're right. So once in a while we might get things off, but well, if it's major, like the speed of sound and the speed of light, we want to make sure to make that correction. Edinburgh. Edinburgh. Yeah. We went bra. over and Yeah. Bra. Edinburgh. Bra. We're yeah. pronouncing it right now. All right, so we hope everyone has had an excellent Thanksgiving, and we hope that if you're traveling, you get home safely and quickly. Let us know if you have any dramas or if you if something went really well. Call our Google Voice number, and um, we can hear about people's trips back from their thanks. Can thanks- I can holiday. I call our Google Voice number on Sunday with my no? You have a whole podcast. No, you have a whole podcast <laughs> segment for that. Maybe so. I will. Maybe I'll call in anyways. <laughs> Maybe have a, have Pippa call in and tell us about <laughs> again being calling. shorted club access. My <laughs> well, daddy didn't make, Daddy didn't make the flight. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, you can have her call in, and then you know she could talk about how you eventually showed up. I guess yeah. <laughs> keep it positive so it's not sad. 
All right, to our friends and contributors, this podcast is your show, so go on our website, nextripnetwork.com, and let us know what's on your mind so we can talk about it. You can also follow us on Instagram at Next Trip Podcast. Please tell your friends about us so we can reach more people who love aviation and travel. You can also call our Google Voice number, like I'm going to have Pippa do on Sunday to ask a question <laughs> or just rant about something. The number is 872-529-5620 when calling from the U.S. Make sure to use the country code 001 or plus one when calling from abroad. Once again, as Drew said, happy Thanksgiving. We hope that you guys had great holidays. We're almost into that the true holiday travel mm. season, yep, Christmas, New Year's. Lights are going up all over. It's starting to feel festive. It's going to be snowing here in Chicago. It's the season. Hopefully everyone is able to travel and see some family in the next few weeks. Thanks to all of our friends and contributors for your support and for joining the conversation. We'll see you next week. And in the meantime, stay aviation tough. This has been the Next Trip Podcast. Visit nexttripnetwork.com for information about previous episodes, trip reviews, aviation photos, and other aviation-related content. This is your show, so search for The Next Trip on Twitter and let Doug and Drew know what you want to talk about. Not on Twitter? You can also email them at nexttrip.podcast at gmail.com. Please consider leaving a review wherever you download your podcasts. It will help other listeners like you discover this show. Boom. Nice. All right, time to go get fat. Keep getting fat. Yeah, we're going to go to the American Indian Museum at the Smithsonian, and Robbie is intent. He's intent on going to the cafeteria there. And it's like, I want to go to a regular restaurant, but he's saying people rave about the food hall at the the American Indian Museum. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, we'll see. Well, I I will say, we went in Beijing, uh, we had dim sum, and -hmm. it was in a mall. It was Mm -hmm. in the basement of a mall. And mm-hmm. it was amazing. They didn't speak any English. Oh, actually, I, I don't think I told you this. No English, no English menu. We ordered several variations of what was on the menu. We were sitting there waiting, and all of a sudden the waiter came out, and he had his Google Translate, and he said, you ordered too many things. Oh. <laughs> and we took that as like, oh, is this almost like a um, – an entree like you you get two sides with an entree yeah so we're we're like oh trying trying to look and see hey is there a limit on what you can order Uh and he was like oh hold on so we went and got someone who spoke marginal english yeah they were trying to tell us that we way over ordered it wasn't that there was a limit on what Uh, you could order yeah it's like they were like you guys ordered way too many things so we took some things took some things off the menu and when they brought it out to us it mm-hmm. was 24 dollars, and the entire table was full oh, wow. and we were stuffed and we did only eat about half of what they brought to us <laughs> well that's nice because they could have easily said now this is what you ordered and it's like two yeah. tables worth of food exactly but we were confused for like 10 minutes we're like oh is there a limit on what we're allowed to order no they're actually just looking out for us so did you gift someone the mochi and they were like what the hell is this it the you mean the the one that I brought to the reunion? Mm-hmm. Oh, it was gone in the first night. Okay, it was so good. It, it, it was really it good. was a mochi ball with like a croissant, like a a butter flake around it. Mm-hmm. And Marissa was like, "Hey, when are you going to Taipei again? Because you need to get more of those." <laughs> it didn't look great. It just looked like some brown donut hole. The, yeah, it, it did not look great, but it was fantastic. It was so good. All right, All enjoy. Right. All right, take care. See ya.